Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you as to what was your key takeout from today's session by writing a review in Apple Podcast with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, Please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and you will receive a one-hour life coaching session for free, valued $500, to help you change your life for the better or to help you get unstuck if you are currently going through a transition or if you need a little motivation. Thank you. This week, as always, we have a super, super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Tris Thorpe. Tris is a highly respected global leader in social emotional learning, personal development and leadership development, as well as a sought after lifestyle and leadership coach, keynote speaker and international best-selling author. Tris illuminates the most important and relevant issues we face today, how to navigate our energy, mindset and emotions during challenging times while striving to live the life we were made for. During her tenure at the Chopra Centre, Tris apprenticed under the centre's co-founder, Dr. David Simon, and together they co-facilitated emotional freedom workshops. She continued her study of the unconscious mind with Debbie Ford. And after the loss of her two mentors, Tris went on to spend a decade traveling the world and sharing the stage with Dr. Deepak Chopra, offering her gift for integrating ancient spiritual teachings with modern day mindfulness. Tris's insightful wisdom and proactive approach transforms every audience. With over two decades of experience, she helps others fully release negative emotions, limiting beliefs and unconscious patterns, enabling them to make quantum leaps into the life they were made for. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, today I am super excited about our guest. It's a very dear friend of mine, the beautiful Tris Thorpe. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Catherine, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your special space here. Oh, it's been a while. I think we've been talking about this for years now. So I'm so excited that finally we've worked out a time that works for the both of us. So really, really excited to get into it. 
So the way that we start the show is we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Tris, tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? Oh, gosh. Well, how much time do we have, Catherine? (laughs) Oh, you can go as deep as you want to, darling. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting. In this this past couple of years, I have gone through a period of really reinventing myself once again. And so I'll just back up a bit and say, you know, for the, the past 15 or so years, I have been in the field of emotional healing and women's empowerment. And oftentimes when people ask how it was that I found my way into this line of work, I often say that it was divine intervention. I literally had been coming out of a very dark period in my life that I have now had a few of those. And I would often refer to it as one of the darker nights of my soul that lasted for about five years. And I was coming out of a huge depression and I found myself on the doorsteps after a very harrowing journey. I found myself on the steps of the Chopra Center for Wellbeing here in Carlsbad, California. And, um, you know, my work in the concert production industry for about 20 years prior brought me into this field working kind of backstage production for Deepak Chopra. And I would say that it was shortly after I began my journey with the Chopra Center and I was introduced to the late Dr. David Simon, who was one of my mentors. I was introduced to, you know, emotional healing. A lot of what we did at the Chopra Center was Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, uh, you know, a lot of wellness and higher states of consciousness, spirituality, things like that. So I like to say it's really where I began my healing process pretty late in my adult life, I would say, Um, at least by my my measure. And um, within a few years of being there, a couple of years of being there, I I was just put in a position to take stage front and center. Uh, Deepak and David expressed to me that they felt my dharma was to be on the stage, not behind the stage, and that they really saw something in me that came out and was very powerful, yet very nurturing when it came to doing the emotional healing work with our guests. And so (laughs) I kind of went kicking and streaming to to the stage. And the reason, you know, I I had to be honest with both Deepak and David at that time by saying, listen, I hear you saying that you want to turn me into uh, a speaker or facilitator or, you know, guide in the field of emotional healing. And I have to let you know, like, I may seem like I have my shit together on the outside, but on the inside, I really don't, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. And I'm living an incongruent life. I I don't know who I am. I still have bad habits. I still run avoidance patterns. And I don't feel like I'm meant to be on your stage. I think you've made a huge mistake. I think you've mistaken me for someone else. And, you know, they sort of chuckled and sent me off to work with Debbie Ford, who was like a sister to them and who became another mentor for me. And Debbie specializes in shadow work. So I went off and did a considerable amount of group and one-on-one work with Debbie 
and then came back and began facilitating emotional healing events um, with Dr. David Simon and teaching those programs, um, sharing the stage with Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and Marianne Williamson and people of that kind of caliber. But I always felt like I was out of mm, out of my league or like kind of like, what am I doing here? Like, how did I end up here in this space? Like, I, I, I grew up in Southeast Alaska and I worked in rock and roll my whole life. Like, I'm a tomboy with... Uh, you know, I, it was just always has been a very confusing journey to me, but at some point I just acquiesced and began to really fall in love with it. The more that I let go of this notion that who was I to be in this role of helping to facilitate the healing of others, um, or at least being a guide for that. As soon as I began to let go of this idea and really step into the space that, that this is what's happening in my life and this is kind of my dharma, this is where I'm supposed to be, then it it really unfolded in a very natural way and I fell in love with my work. And I really, honestly, Catherine, I feel like I'm in my highest self when I am facilitating emotional healing and women's empowerment work. It's just, I can feel that it... It is soul soothing for me. It's fulfilling. And I know that I was put here on this planet to share my own story, stories, and uh, and to be a guide. So, so that's really kind of, you know, a lot of people wake up one day and they decide I want to be a lawyer or I want to be an, uh, a, a doctor or I want to be this or that. And they go after it. And, and I am... Um, I feel like I just sort of ended up here and now I knew, now I can see that it's where I was meant to be all along. Oh, I love and so many questions have bubbled up for me. It just reminds me of a guest that we had not that long ago on the show who was saying that sometimes there are those people that, you know, they seek and chase what's the meaning of this life and what is my purpose? And she was saying, what about flipping that and allowing your purpose to find you? Which is kind of what you're talking about. Um, for our listeners, um, how would you describe Dharma? Is Dharma a calling and a purpose for you? You know, the way that I was taught about Dharma, so so you're, you have to understand when, when I spent the last 15 years with Deepak, I was very much steeped in the Vedic traditions, the Vedic wisdom of ancient India. And so according to... According to these teachings and this philosophy, Dharma is considered to be your purpose in life. The thing that you do that that calls forth your soul and your absolute highest self. So it, for some people that could be career and for other people it could just simply be doing the thing, you know, that it, it, when they're in expression of their unique talents and their special gifts. So yeah, I would say that Dharma Dharma is your purpose, and yet there are lots of different ways that we can express that dharma or that purpose. Mm, it's so true because, I mean, it could be as simple, and I, I always say that my purpose is to inspire, motivate, and empower the conscious human beings of this world. And I can do that just by uh, having dinner with my family, by a conversation, um, I can actually tie that into every aspect of my life. And I think that's really important that we understand that a purpose is this, 
it's an appetite. It's it's a drive. That's how I describe it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. It's kind of like the vision that pulls you, right? Like your North Star. If you think about, you know, when we think when we look at the North Star in the sky, right? We can always we can always see it there. And, and it's just kind of, it's, it's never something that we fully actualize or reach because we're always striving, but we're striving for it while we're on the path to becoming it. And when we think that we're in that stage of becoming, what we don't realize is that we've already actualized and we're in the beingness energy of it. Mm, I love the way that you describe that. Because, you know, I think it's also, it's 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 almost like, the default of the majority is to seek external and it's about having not been. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. It's, it's you've got to become the very thing that you want to be as a way to, to vibrate that very essence to then attract whatever that is externally of you. And I know you've got, I think yeah. you, you do have a, t- I think it's uh, a tattoo that says everything you are seeking is uh, within you something like that. I just remember seeing that and was like, this was years ago when you and I were together in the US. And I was like, I saw that and I was like, so true. It was like an etheric slap when I saw that tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. It says that which you seek, you already are. That's it. Mm, I love that. I absolutely love it. It's so true. You talked about divine intervention. And I know that before we got on the show, we talked a little bit about divine intervention. What does that mean exactly to you? To me, divine intervention is kind of the universal universal guidance that shows up in material form in some or, or at least in the material world in some way, shape, or form, right? So divine guidance could come in the form of two two teachers saying, Hey, Tris, we see this this aspect in you and we we see you as a leader and a speaker and a healer and a teacher and all of these things and so therefore we want to put you on the stage that there is in many ways for me divine intervention because i never and still to this day don't really see myself in that way i know that i'm seen in that way by my peers and my students and my clients and because i would never have chosen this path that divine intervention is some sort of enigmatic or mysterious or kind of a lot of people would say coincidental, but I don't believe in coincidences, some synchronistic series of events that transpire as a means of getting your attention to say, here is the direction you're going in, whether you think that that's the direction you're meant to go in or not. And sometimes it comes in the form of a teacher. Sometimes it comes in the form of God or the universe, uh, kind of earthquaking your life and, and stripping you of everything from your job and your relationship and your identity and, and all of these things, because it has something better in store for you. And yet it knows that either you're in avoidance mode and you're not willing to look at it or you're blind and, and not able to see it. And so for me, divine intervention is synchro synch- synchronicities that unfold as a means to, to grasp our attention and point us in a new direction. And sometimes it's a billboard, you know, or a sticker on a car in front of you. 
It's so true. And I think this is really important because it links into what you were talking about, women empowerment. And what I see, women's empowerment, I should say, what I see quite often is that women won't put themselves forward uh, because they're second guessing themselves. So you, were, as you were sharing this story, like I think you've got the wrong girl. Um, I hear this often. Uh, and, and I see this in, in more so in corporations, even entrepreneurs, women business. I see this kind of uh, thing that stops them. But it's like the hero's journey that you speak about. Sometimes in the hero's journey, it is the coach or the mentor that appears as your divine intervention that sees the potential within you that gives you that little nudge forward. And then it's up to you what you do with that information. So I love the fact that you share that. Do you see this yourself working with a lot of women in leadership? I do. You know, women in general, Catherine, and I know I know that, you know, we've got a lot of history books to look at, but as we know culturally and historically, women have been terrified to stand in their power for many, many, many years because of the, you know, the patriarchal society and kind of the the stigma that is has been attached for a very long time around women needing to be subservient and fulfill certain roles and i get that we're pretty far removed from that now and certainly it's growing quickly in the opposite direction and yet there's a collective energetic element for women around having a fear of afraid of being seen, afraid of being heard, afraid of being judged, you know, am I going to be safe going out into the world? Like what's going to happen to me? And so I think that there are times when we are experiencing our own fears, maybe because of childhood conditioning or, you know, past life patterning, if one believes in that, or genealogical kind of conditioning. And then we've also got this kind of karmic collective of the feminine. And without many of us even realizing it, we're all we're all affected by that energetic archetype of the kind of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the feminine that's been contained for thousands of years. And so fast forward to where we are today, Yes, there are so many women stepping forward confidently, and there are a lot of us that I think even who are very confident and strong and tenacious and things like this, who on the inside, yeah, we're still very reluctant leaders or asking the question, what does it look like for me to be an empowered woman? And how can I do so safely and effectively and in a way that that really embodies the feminine, but also standing in, in the power, right? And so I, I think that many of us are seeking like, what does that look like for me? And what does that look like for our corporation? And what does that look like for the collective feminine in humanity? Do you think that it, it uh, depends on generation? For example, I was just having this conversation just the other day that I see a lot of millennials, for example, they have so much confidence. You know, like I've been working with a lot of millennials lately and mentoring some for uh, quite some time. And it's amazing, the confidence. But I don't see that as a whole. So do you think it's, it depends on the generation? 
I think there's so much at play, Catherine, truly. You know, I think that at the unconscious, subconscious level, there are a lot of karmic patterns and, and archetypal energies at play that sort of dictate how we move through life. And then, of course, there's our our parental conditioning and social conditioning and things like that. And yes, I do agree that there some parts of it are generational because you know, if you look at our grandparents' generation, yours and mine, and our parents' generation, and then our own, and then the youth that is coming up, you know, underneath us and behind us, um, it, it, it is all very different. And I think it also has to do a lot with so the wave of energy that's coming through when, when we're in the space of a particular cycle in, in human evolution. And so, yeah, there's a lot more confidence right now for the the millennials because they are all being raised on this mindset or or the collective mindset of that age group right now is we don't have to clock the nine to five. We don't have to stay in a job for 40 years and get a pension. We don't, we get to be who we are and make a living putting on makeup or make a living through Bitcoin or very creative ventures that didn't exist for us or our parents. So there is that. And then, you know, there's also the, the layers of conditioning, you know, where did we grow up ge uh, geographically? What is the culture? What is our, what's happening in, you know, in the household and things like that. And you look at different pockets around the world and millennials in different parts of the world may not be behaving the same way as they are in Australia or in the US or in the UK. So true. Yeah, very true. And once again, that's ge very much generalizing, isn't it? What I what I just uh, was talking about, because I mean, I always say the millennials are cable ready. You know, they want to they want instant um, knowledge without doing the work. It's it's like, but how do I get to that? They, they're, they're very, very. Um, uh, it, it's all about now. It's all about, or oh, they wanted it yesterday, but that's very general. As I'm speaking, absolutely, culture does play a big part and it depends on all the facets that you talked about. Absolutely. And even the educational systems, you know, like you and I, like I didn't have a cell phone till I was in my 30s, right? And I didn't have, like I didn't, I, we we didn't have things. Like I was still using a typewriter in high school. I didn't have a computer until later on in high school, you know, or right out of high school. And so it's just different times mm. and different levels of consciousness as a result of the times that we're living in. And as a result also of the energies that are coming into the earth plane right now and things, you know, things are shifting. So if you look back, I mean, and not that we want to turn this conversation into going back to Lemuria or Atlantis or anything like that, you know, these ancient civilizations. But if you do glance back at them, even for just a moment, you can see that we operated from a very, very, very high place technologically, scientifically, like spiritually. And then, you know, we went through this ice age period. Right. And it's almost like humanity got a reboot and then we had to start all over as cavemen and you know, kind of come up through that again. So it's the cycles and rhythms of the universe and evolution. 
Really? So true. We have those conversations where, you know, you talk about moving into, and we've had quite a, a few guests on the show talking about moving from 3D to a 5D consciousness. And it's mm-hmm. existed before these rhythm and cycles. When you're talking about the Lemurians and the Atlanteans, all of this, when you're talking about the rise of technology, uh, the rise of the feminine, all of these have happened in other times. And we're just repeating it, but it's just, I guess, a little bit different um, because we haven't, we didn't go up. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, it's not like we were taught at school about the Lemurians and the Atlantans. I think it's a self-discovery yourself. If it's something that you want to go and investigate, um, highly recommended, by the way. It's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There's there's um, all of this repeats. It's constant, constant. The one other thing that bubbled up when you were talking about working closely with Debbie Ford, you talked about, the shadow, the work that you did one-on-one and then group. What was those insights for you? What was the biggest aha moment working with Debbie Ford? Um, <laughs> well, my biggest personal aha moment was, oh, my God, I'm like she and I are one and the same. Like we had, <laughs> we had she rubbed me the wrong way. Um, like I, I really had a lot of resistance. Like I, I wanted to love her and I actually did love her. I mean, I, she was beautiful. She was smart. She was, you know, she was, uh, very gifted in teaching this work and very articulate. Um, and some of her approaches really just really rubbed me the wrong way. And so it was so interesting, but I think this is true for a lot of us when we first enter personal growth, right? Whether it's landmark or the Hoffman process or whatever it is that we do that first starts to stir the underpinnings of all of the toxic residue that we carry inside. It's like we automatically resist the very thing that's stirring up our shit because it's uncomfortable. And we're so used to projecting out or looking out at that thing that stirred the discomfort and making it the villain right? And so it's interesting how I could see like Debbie is my shadow. (laughs) Like early on working with her, I was like, oh my God, this woman is my shadow. Um, She's everything I don't want to be, but she's also everything that I do want to be and that I don't believe I ever could be. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway of working with her was kind of navigating through the energy of like, oh my God, I hate this woman. Like, I really don't like her to, oh my God, I love this woman. We're exactly the same. And then realizing how that, how both of those things were shadow projections of my own that were being mirrored back to me. How did you, because you talk about the resistance and I love the fact that some people say the resistance means that there is nothing wrong with me. There is no work to be done or the resistance means shit. I better lean in. There's some, something going on here. So what was that pivot point from uh, hating to loving to the resistance to the acceptance? I would say the from the hating to the loving, from the resistance to the acceptance was something just clicked and, and I realized that she was my shadow. I'm like, okay, I'm here to learn about the shadow and I, I wasn't even thinking about the shadow because I was just in my head about all of my judgments around my teacher, right? And so I couldn't even get, allow myself to get to the work. And it it was this very interesting and not not fun uh, thing to experience in the moment. 
But then all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb turned on. And I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling triggered because she has qualities that she's expressing that I see in myself. And, and I, and I hate these qualities within myself. I hate the fact that I can be a bitch. I hate the fact that I, you know, have jealous thoughts about other people that I have resentments that, you know, and, and I also, so there's the dark side of the shadow. And then there's also the the light side of the shadow, right? Like, falling in love with her and being like, really what I think about her is I'm just pissed with myself that I can't be someone like her. Someone that's so beautiful, someone who's so smart and so intellectual and, and so graceful and so just steeped in this knowledge and understanding. And so it was just like this, kind of like this very quick flash of a moment where I'm like, oh my God, I hate her because I'm seeing, I hate her because she's my shadow. And as soon as that dawned on me, right, that, oh, she's mirroring back to me without even knowing it, all of these aspects within myself that I'm unwilling to accept, that I want to hide or hide from, or these aspects of myself that I'm deeply ashamed of. And that's when I just began to melt into, okay, this She's the perfect teacher for me. And, and from that moment forward, I just, not to say that she didn't trigger me after that, but it, I realized it wasn't her, it was me. So when you speak about the light and the dark of the shadow, where does ego fit into all of this? Oh, that's such a great question. So when I teach my courses on the shadow, I always start by talking about the ego and our personas, because it's it becomes difficult to really truly understand the shadow when you don't first take a look at the ego and personas. So put very simply for all of us to be able to understand, the ego is simply who we are. It's how we identify ourselves. So anytime you begin a statement with I am, and then you use whatever descriptor that follows, that is ego. Ego is I am. It's who you think you are. It's who you are. It's not good. It's not, I mean, well, it is good. It's good and bad and everything in between, right? So the ego is not, the ego is who we are. And I think that a lot of us get confused and want to get rid of our ego because we hear words like egoic, or egomaniac, you know, egomaniacal, or that person is just up in their ego. And so that is all of the negative connotations of a person's being, right? Their qualities, their characteristics, their attributes. You can't get rid of your ego because your ego is who you are. So your ego simply is who you are. You are Catherine, you're a facilitator, you're an, you inspire people, you motivate people, you empower people, you know, you're all of the things that you can identify yourself with is your ego. It's who you are. Now, personas are the various roles in life that we all play. Now, personas are not a bad thing. We all play different roles in our lives. Am I right? Like I play the role of a daughter. 
I play the role of a sister. I play the role of a coach, a facilitator, a teacher, a mentor. I play the role of a friend, right? I play the role of a student when I take someone else's course. And so as long as the roles that we're playing in our life are congruent with our ego, meaning if as long as the roles we're playing are congruent with who we are, then there's no problem. There's no conflict. The problem begins to arise when the personas or the roles that we play in our life on a daily basis are not congruent with who we truly are, right? If we're trying to be someone or something other than who or what we are, we're out of alignment, then we're playing a persona that's not us. So it's the not me, which is the shadow. So when we have roles in our lives that we're not that are not in alignment with who we are, that starts to trigger the shadow because essentially we're showing up in a way that we don't want to be showing up. And so we start to develop an internal conflict, which is me against that thing that I'm pretending to be. That's what we call the shadow. The shadow is who you're not. It's who you don't think you are. You could never be that. It's the part of you that you... Uh, that you hide, that you reject, that you are, that, you know, you're ashamed of, you wouldn't want anybody to ever know of. So you spend a lifetime pretending that you're not that. So I'll stop there because I know that that's kind of juicy and I tied. Mm, Very juicy. And shadow. So yeah, if you have any questions around that, I would love to hear those. So when you were talking about shadow, so the shadow is not always the shadow could also be something positive right because you're talking about the light and the dark of the shadow and the light of the shadow could it be something that you look like you were talking about Debbie Ford right you were talking about the light and dark and as I was thinking about it the dark of of the resistance to then the acceptance of she is uh, amazing great facilitator knowledgeable intelligent whatever those words were is that that is the shadow, right? There's a light and a dark to the shadow. Yeah. I mean, I use those terms and Debbie used those terms for the sake of making it easy for us humans because we need things to be simplified. Really, it's just the shadow. So if you look back to Carl Jung's work, and Carl Jung is the one who coined the term shadow, basically the shadow is any quality, characteristic, or attribute that you reject that you think that you are not or could never be, good and bad and everything in between. Right. So it's rejecting as in, wow, you're an amazing facilitator, but deep down inside at that deeper level, your unconscious mind, there is an aspect of you that goes, you are not a good facilitator. You would never be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I struggled a lot with it when I was first being put on stage, right? Because I had no acting Uh, experience, no stage experience. I was never trained as a trainer or facilitator or speaker. I didn't know how to do any of the things that we teach now in NLP and stage training. Um, (laughs) So I found myself a lot being in that space of having a tremendous lack of self-worth 
and self-confidence because I'm surrounded by the world's top spiritual gurus and thought leaders. And I'm being told that I have to get on the stage because they say that it's my dharma. And so I'm in this seat of comparing myself to these huge, you know, celebrities. And so that was a big shadow for me, like all of the amazing qualities that they each had, the, the unique talents and special gifts that they each expressed uniquely. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't have any of that. I'm just this small town girl from Alaska who, you know, worked backstage in rock and roll and has a bad attitude and enjoys a few too many beers every night. You know, I'm just like, I, I was really in a space at the beginning where my personas were out of alignment with who I was. I didn't know who I was, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a very confusing thing. And so all of these people had these amazing qualities that I was like, I could never be that. Okay, so I feel like something that's popped up for me is ego versus soul. Uh, I remember a quote by, uh, I think it's Pema Chandron. The ego seeks to divide and separate and the spirit seeks to unify and heal. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there are two aspects of who we are. You know, the ego is how we identify right? So it's part of the intellectual conscious linear thinking mind. Whereas the soul, it said, travels with us from lifetime to lifetime and brings forth the seeds of the memories and desires of who we once were so that we can bring those aspects and elements into the next lifetime with us and continue our growth and development. Mm. I just, what um, I've just finished the uh, the seed of the soul, the book, and I'm trying to think of the the gentleman. Yes, you have. Yes. Amazing. Beautiful, beautiful. The way that it was written, it, it gave me a lot of uh, insight into how the soul works, which was mm-hmm. yeah, very very insightful. Okay, so we could go on about shadow, ego, persona for another hour, but what I'd love to uh, maybe shift gears a little bit is going to uh, emotional, you were talking about your emotional healing. Uh, what kind of work did you do? When you think about emotional healing, what, what exactly is that? So emotional healing is a process that, a very non-specific process that we go through when we are ready to resolve pain from the past and conflicts that we have been carrying around with us from past experience, really. Um, you know, there's a, there's a probably thousands of different ways to approach emotional healing. And I think it, it looks slightly different for each person, you know, when it comes to different tools and techniques and approaches. And at the end of the day, it, it's just a very simple process that at some point, we arrive at a place in our path, in our life, hopefully, where it becomes apparent to us that the the baggage that we have been carrying with us is preventing us from being who we want to be. And it's it's really limiting us from being able to do the things that we want to have, you know, do the things that we want to do and have 
those things in life that are important to us. And so, you know, at some point we arrive at a place where we realize I need to take a look at this unresolved stuff that's inside of me that's creating negative emotions and internal conflicts and, you know, these self-limiting beliefs that is all a part of the neurology, right? And and learn how to do uh, some sort of healing process around that so that we can move forward free of that. So for our listeners, it would be more so what area of your life is there pain, whether it's relationship, what you're talking about, it could be, uh, you know, money, whatever it could be. Um, so where is, it, it starts with where is the pain? Yes. Is that correct? Or yeah, what area I think of your life di- is not working? Yeah, I think, you know, for those of us that are in the, the field, it's a little easier for us to kind of identify the stages that we're in and be able to discern where the where we need to begin our work. I, what I've noticed, you know, in talking with people who come to my courses or hire me to work with them one-on-one is they're not thinking along those lines. So there could be a situation where they're still in crisis, right? Like their husband or wife just left them. They're getting a divorce out of the blue. Someone had an affair. Someone could have just been diagnosed with uh, you know, a terminal illness. You could have just been fired from a job. Your child could have been, you know, killed in a drunk driving accident. Like all of these kind of crises that occur in our lives. And so whenever we're in crisis, of course, we realize that we're in crisis. And what most of us tend to do in that moment is get away from the pain. And so we adopt all kinds of different avoidance tactics. And we learn to, we do anything that we can to numb the pain, to run away from it, to mask it. You know, let's let's go on a vacation. Let's have several glasses of wine. You know, let's do anything but be in the pain. Because, of course, being in pain is not comfortable. So unless we grow up in a household or a society where we've been taught how to sit with our emotions when these things happen and how to allow ourselves to move through a process, we don't know how to do it. And so we run. And as a result of that running and avoiding and neglecting and looking the other in the other direction, we bury it. And so it's usually not until years later when we think that we've processed the thing, we've healed from it, it's two years later, five years later, 25 years later, and something it it could be a lot of different things for people, but it could be something as simple as my life seems to be going great. I have a great relationship. I make good money. I live in a beautiful home. I love my grandchildren. I drive a nice car, but there's something deep inside of me that is unfulfilled. What is that about? Or it could come up through another trigger that is similar to whatever it was that happened in the original event. Maybe they get fired from another job. 
or maybe their child gets fired and it triggers that same thing and brings up anything that was unresolved. And so oftentimes people don't say to themselves, I need emotional healing. It's just not the language that we speak. However, they can recognize that things have been going on like this for too long and something's got to change. And that's Mm. usually when they start to take a close look at how am I really feeling right now? Yeah. So, because the things that I was thinking about as well, so when you're talking about emotional healing, it could be when they're actually physically in that moment that then then they know they need to do something, whether it's a loss of a loved one or loss of, uh, you know, being married to someone or a loss of a child, whatever that may be, the loss of. Uh, so then I guess th- they know they need to do something with that pain right now. However, however, everyone reacts and responds differently to pain. But then you're talking about pain that, for example, if we look down, and I, I've used this example quite often on the show that I had, you know, my thing is the thing that was repeating, a pattern that was repeating was uh, incidents with certain relationships. And so the common denominator was me. It wasn't about these relationships, it was me. And I had to do a lot of the deep work to really go within, uh, and that talks about, you know, I go into the shadow work as well, uh, go within to find out what's that narrative, what's that story. And this is where I realised, and this is only a few years ago, that I was still holding on to anger from something from a very long time ago that was uh, showing up in different relationships. But once again, it's exactly what you said. It's not unless you're consciously aware of what emotional healing, it's not like people go around and say I need emotional healing. It's more so that either they're in it or there's something just not right, not working. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, you know, for our listeners who are more awake individuals who who are in the personal growth conversation with themselves and others every day, it could be that a crisis hits and if you know if you know what you need to do you being each individual then you can allow yourself to heal in the moment instead of running from it so if you think of a person who uh, has surgery right let's just say they have knee surgery or something they are in the crisis mode, right? Like their body literally has just gone undergone surgery and they're in a healing crisis. And so we all know, oh gosh, well, someone, you know, so-and-so just had knee surgery. That means take lots of, uh, take lots, drink lots of fluids, get lots of rest, plan not to be up and around, Um, you know, really a lot of self-care, a lot of nurturing, making sure that there's a support structure and people there to help out, you know, cooking your meals, et cetera, right? So when, when we're awake and crisis hits, we can make the choice in that moment to say, okay, I'm in crisis mode, And I'm going to sit back as if I had just had surgery, right? Slightly different, right? But just kind of like go with me for the analogy. I need to sit back and just allow myself the time to heal. I can't rush this. I can't force this to be over 
it's going to heal whenever it heals. And in the meantime, I'm going to sit here and do the work the same way that, you know, the person who had surgery is going to lay there and keep their knee up and, you know, et cetera. So, you know, if, for a person who, who doesn't have the tools or isn't versed in the personal development conversation just yet, or is newer to it, or gosh, (laughs) to be honest, I'm just coming out of two years of like being in the void because I've just gone through a horrific divorce. And I found myself over the last two calendar years being slammed back into a crisis state where all I could do was practice everything that I teach, meditation, daily forgiveness, allowing myself to cry when I needed to cry, allow myself to scream when I needed to scream, talk about it when I needed to, don't talk about it when I didn't need to, sleep for three straight weeks, right? Like whatever it was that I needed to do, I spent the last two years meeting myself where I was at, being with what is. That's what I mean when I say there's no specific process for healing. There's many of us I have my own process that I outlined in my book, Healing Your Heart, and that may be a different process, a process that works for one person and yet doesn't work for the other because we're all so unique and in different places on our path. Mm, I love that. And I think that too, and I'd love for you to to share with our listeners how you channel that energy because I think that sometimes what we do is when we don't allow this, you know, sit in the moment, sit with the anger or whatever that may be, and um, rather than I always say it's almost like sitting by a river and, and, and seeing the emotion just pass through, allowed to pass through. Otherwise, when we stop this energy or this emotion – it actually becomes blocked in our body and this is where we start getting physical pain because we're not allowing ourselves to sit in this emotion. But I also love the fact that you can also channel that energy into something else. Would you like to share how you channel your energy? Yeah, I feel like I've got the coolest comeback story ever. So I, first of all, for two straight years, I've just been in the work, right? Just in the daily work. And I've had, I've wanted to rush the process. I've wanted to climb out of my own body at times and run away to another land far, far away because I just was so like, I just wanted to be out of my pain and my confusion and all of the the, the fear and the uncertainty that comes with starting over when you didn't think you were going to. And so while simultaneously being in that energy and, you know, really telling myself, I, I, I could see this coming and I knew that it was going to be horrific. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to prevent my husband leaving. And there were huge betrayals that happened. And I just, I guess through a lot of years of practice and teaching it, I just taught myself how to slow down my thoughts and my emotions in those moments. And it's almost like I, like in a movie, when you see things go into slow motion and everything freezes, but I was still animated within that frozen space. 
And I would, I remember saying to myself every day, who do you want to become in the process? Like, how do you want to move through this? Do you want to go and tell the whole world how you've been wronged and create the villain? Or do you want to keep to yourself and get whatever lessons and learnings that you need to get, Tris, and make a conscious choice about who you're going to become as a result of having gone through this awful experience. And I had three words tattooed to the inside of my left arm, and they are truth, integrity, and grace. Just those three words as a reminder that no matter what's happening in my life, however I've been wronged or whatever experience I'm having, even if I created it myself, and we all know that we're all co-creating everything, right? And so um, that, that, was, that was who I wanted to show up as even in my darkest hours and days and months. And so that anchored me to my daily practices of meditation and morning pages and just doing all of the ugly cry work, all of the, all of the stuff that we just don't freaking want to do because it's just awful. And simultaneously, I had just been in conversation with a close girlfriend of mine who I highly admire and respect. And she, uh, she's a psychologist and just this lovely woman and she flies airplanes and she's an instructor and she does aerobatics. She used to compete um, doing aerobatics in the sky. And I, I was always begging her to take me flying. And I had been begging her to take me flying after all of this happened, literally like two days after the bomb had dropped. I was begging her over dinner, please take me flying. And she said, my airplane is in annual and it's not going to be out for another month. Why don't you just go learn how to fly? And I was like, holy shit, you can do that. <laughs> and literally the next day I booked my very first discovery flight and I chose to channel all of my anger and my hurt and my frustration and my sadness and my grief and my pain and my jealousy and my resentment, I, I chose to channel all of it into aviation and I became a private pilot over the last 18 months. That is so cool. I still can't, I'm, I'm still like, wow, that's amazing. And I, I love that story. I think this is really important for all of us to listen to that you can either, um, <clears throat> And I know that there's some people, they hang on to anger for many, many, many years, right? But I think that the cool stuff is that you were able to channel it into flying airplanes, which is awesome because there was, I remember you telling me there was this sense of freedom in the air. It's like you were somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone through a few different phases, right? So at the beginning of it, I didn't care whether I lived or died and you know, don't get me wrong. I, I was not suicidal by any means. I, I had no intentions of harming myself, but I just, I really didn't care. I, I, I lost everything that I loved. I lost my whole life except for the roof over my head. I lost my husband and his children and the business that we were creating and the family and the, you know, everything that we were creating uh, together. 
was gone overnight. And um, I just really, I just remember feeling like I didn't care if I lived or died. And so it was an interesting phase that at first aviation was just something to get me out of my house, out of my head, out of my heart that was broken into a million pieces, right? And my mind was constantly going back to the things that I had seen and learned and been through. And so when I was in the plane, when I'm flying, there's no time to think about anything else. There's just way too much to be focused on. And so that was, that was my period of time. And you could call it an escape uh, or kind of my way of getting away from it for a while. And I think that to some degree that was healthy, right? I'm talking about when we avoid things consistently, when we're in the pain, we just refuse to look at it. But I would take two hours a day, four days a week to get in the sky. And so for those two hours of every day, I got to step out of my healing process and my pain and experience something exhilarating. I, I felt like I was closer to God. I felt like I was defying all odds by, you know, like humans were not supposed to be flying, right? Like here I am, like I'm in the sky, I'm flying around. and. There were just a lot of really cool metaphors for life, right? Like I would constantly say, I'm going, I'm getting skyward today. It was my way of rising up out of it for a period of time so that I wasn't in it 24-7. And then after about six months or so, it actually triggered some trauma. I had a couple of maneuvers that I had to do. One of them was power on stalls. While I was learning this maneuver, it's basically where you're pitching the nose of the airplane straight up. You're you're pretending like you have an engine out on takeoff, right? And so what happens is as you're doing this, as you're pitching the nose up, you're losing airspeed. And at some point, the air is not going to have enough, the air is not going to be moving over the top of the wing enough. And so it's going to create a drop in one of the wings. And when one of the wings drops, if you don't recover it quickly, it puts you into a nose down spin. And that happened a couple of times. And it, it triggered trauma from when my husband left because it was the same energetic as him leaving and like my life being out of control and everything is spinning and I can't there's nothing to hold on to. And what am I going to do? Am I going to crash and burn and die? And like, I have nothing. And oh my, you know, it was just chaos. And so I, I worked with a specialist, someone who is trained in the work that I do. And uh, she helped me out of it. And then from that point forward, aviation has been more of a personal growth. Um, you know, it pushes me up against my, my boundaries and my threshold. Every single time I get in the plane, I'm learning something new or I'm coming up against a new challenge. And it's so cool, Catherine, how no matter what's happening in the plane, I can say, okay, what's this an example of? And how is that showing up in my personal life on the ground? Or if something's happening in my personal life on the ground, then I can be like, okay, well, how could that be in a metaphor in some way in aviation? So it's been a very cool love story between aviation and me and, and a really cool comeback story. I feel pretty stoked about it.
Oh, and I love the fact that you weave it into what's happening or how am I relating that to, um, you know, whether it's on, you know, on, the, on the ground or in the air, how are you linking it to your own story and your own experiences? I know for me there was a, and it was quite a while ago, I wrote a, a blog because um, <clears throat> I always, um, myself was going through some own, my own uh, experiences with relationships and, and, and a broken heart. And I remember one day I was writing this, because I do lots of writings, my, my, I guess my way of healing my own uh, whatever I'm experiencing at the time. But I remember writing down that you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. And if we use that concept of breaking uh, our heart as a way to open up to even more love, cracking it open was like to me that was like it transformed the way that I saw it I saw it as uh, more rather than seeing it's my heart cracking open as pain I saw it as love as a way to expand and accept and allow more love so that was sorry I love that Mm, yeah so it just made me think that that as you were talking about your experience through aviation and and uh your own experience your own trauma I, I just had this vision of me writing that down and I just remember all these tears coming down my face just releasing as I was writing it so um very very beautiful so thank you so much. And it is what a comeback story. So as we start wrapping up the show, Tris, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I say for my brand, it's healing. Because I think there's so much that there's so much that we need to heal within us. And when that healing occurs, it opens up the channels of possibility in all of the other areas of our lives. And when that channel is open, like you were just saying, and love is coming in because the healing has, has occurred and it's just pure love and pure light energy flowing through, then it puts us in a position to manifest anything that we want in any area of our life. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. And the last question, Tris, is that we always love to ask our woman of inspiration is to pick three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today. And they could be like three practical exercises. Okay. So this is one that I use across the board with, regardless of whether I'm teaching shadow or healing your heart or the rewrite your story work, um, three things that are imperative in order to move through your personal growth work. The first is awareness. Awareness of the fact that something has to change. Awareness around the fact that things have been going on like this for too long. The awareness that you're not living in alignment with who you are, the awareness that you deserve more, right? So awareness has to come first. We, we have to become aware that things are not working and that a change is required in order for there to be any hope of, of creating said change. So awareness is number one. 
So just working on things that heighten your awareness, that enhance your awareness, that expand your awareness. And some simple practices for that are taking slow walks in nature, uh, meditation, or some form of contemplation and prayer, or even an open eye stillness meditation, like just an open eye watching the sunset at the beach or sitting at the koi pond or alongside a riverbank or wherever your spot is, could be in your cozy chair with your candle burning in front of the fireplace. So quiet contemplation, taking time to slow things down and really play out on the screen of your awareness, the choices that you're making on a given day and the experiences that you're having as a result of those choices, that awareness is what gives you the power to choose something different. The second thing is intention. Now that you've become aware, you, you need to have the intention to actually create the change. And what is that intention, right? What does that intention look like? Is it an intention for you to have a different experience? Is it an intention for you to shift something externally, internally, something philosophically? Like what is the intended, like what do you intend or desire now that you've cultivated this level of awareness? So some reflection around, okay, now that you know what's up, what do you want? And then the third thing is conscious right action. Um, and let's add the word consistent to the front of that. Consistent right action. And I like to use the word conscious because so many of us have these, you know, these patterns and these strategies that we run unconsciously. And those are the things that are kind of creating the problem. So to really take into consideration, how do I want to be instead? And what actions can I take today that will move me in that direction? So those are my three, awareness, intention, and conscious right action. Mm, I do love all of those. And I myself, I think it's really important to practice intention as a way to um, uh, pave the path forward i love all three thank you so much tris i can't thank you enough for coming on the show and i know our guests will want to reach out where is the best place for our listeners to find you well i can be found at on my website which is tristhorpe.com so i'm easy to find there i'm easy to find on instagram um, my you know my name is Tris Thorpe. So, and same with Facebook. Um, I have a business Facebook page that I've moved away from using. Really, I have a Facebook group that is called Always Be Rising. And I started that group in January of 2020, um, just shortly after my divorce had been set in motion and um, just like a month or two after I started flying. And so it's really in that always be rising Facebook group where I show up the most videos, uh, sometimes just being in, getting in there and being goofy and 
sometimes delivering um, my aviation as a metaphor for life. Like, oh, I was out flying today and this is what happened. And oh my God, it's com completely directed, you know, directly connected with this thing in life. And um, so it's a, a place for me to share the story and the journey and also for uh, the community to go to be supported and be with like-minded people who are focused on conscious rising. I love it. And I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of women out there to take up aviation. I think I, I think it's absolutely amazing. I just want to say thank you. Uh, I'm so happy that we finally connected and got you on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing your wealth of wisdom, your time and your energy. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Catherine. It's been a, a gift and a pleasure to spend this time with you and your listeners. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.